0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. We're going to read verses 18 to 25, and uh, that's, that's our passage for today. So follow along in your Bible, and, uh, and, and we will just read through those verses. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, sink these words into our hearts today. May we who uh, find ourselves trusting in anything other than the message of the cross, may we be refined this morning and come back to the truth of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a well-known graffito on display at a museum in Rome which shows a man worshiping before the image of a cross. And I've got a picture of that up on the screen for you this morning. And you can see this is this is not the actual graffito, but it's actually somebody put a piece of paper over the graffito and traced what had been etched into this marble stone. And that's the drawing that comes out of it. And it says, "Alexamenos worships his God. And you can see the cross there, the body of a man with the head of a donkey. Now, this piece of artwork reminds us That what the world, in their human wisdom, thinks about the cross of Jesus Christ and those who worship Him. In our passage today, Paul is contrasting the message of Christ with the wisdom of this world. Our main theme as we study this morning is that the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. Yet it, at the same time, it is the wisdom and power of God to those who are being saved. And I want you to notice that those verb tenses are present tenses. It is those that are perishing and those that are being saved. Okay, It is a present tense verb that is on purpose. The Holy Spirit wanted it written down that way. Our first point and only point this morning with a couple of sub points is that the message of the cross is found in 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 the church uh, that that the gospel that Paul was preaching to the church in that day excuse me now Paul had given a call for unity if you recall we here have been studying through the chapter verse by verse and now Paul has given that call for unity in the previous verses and he had pointed out that the basis for unity within the Christian church is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? If we do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we cannot have unity within the church. The gospel is what brings unity, and may I remind you that the gospel is so wonderfully inclusive, and the the heart of God is a heart that is looking and focused on sending that gospel message out into the world, that all that hear it might have the opportunity to receive the truth. The truth about themselves, the truth about God, the truth about Jesus Christ. That is the basis for unity. In verse 17, you'll note that Paul stated it is possible, or it is possible to actually preach the message of the cross in such a way that it has no effect. And that is if it was preached by relying on human wisdom, if you remember. And so if all we're doing as a church is relying on programs that are built on human wisdom to be successful in this world, we have failed. We will fail miserably because there is no power in the gospel message that is preached relying upon human wisdom. Oh, it may have some success, And we do see those churches that are successful using the wisdom of man. But in eternity, we will find that the fruit is not there. The eternal, lasting fruit of salvation will be missing from these churches that rely on human wisdom. Now, that's not to say that by God's grace He doesn't work and move because God is such a gracious and loving God. He uses uh, even... Idiots like me to share the gospel, and for people to get saved, and people to begin to walk with the Lord. So we know it's not the messenger, it's the message that God blesses, and and, and God can work in and through all kinds of different circumstances. What a blessing to know that. But now, Paul takes the thought, and he's going to explore it further. He begins to contrast the wisdom of the world with God's wisdom, in sending Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world. And we need to talk for a moment about this message of the cross. Paul here is talking about these words, the message of the cross. And we hear it today and we kind of think, wow, that's so noble. That's so religious sounding, you know, the message of the cross. And we have this idea, you know, like, cross glowing there on the church wall somewhere, the steeple, you know, the message of the cross. But listen, in Paul's day, it was not at all noble. It was not at all religious. Put in the context of Paul's day, it was actually something that was detestable, humiliating, shameful even. If we were to put it in modern day language, we would say something like, the message of lethal injection. Now that just doesn't sound very noble, does it? The message of the hangman's news. The message of the firing squad. The message of the electric chair. Now, when we think about those words, wow, we, we get a picture of a criminal dying a shameful criminal's death. Deservedly so. And, and that, is, that is the idea here that Paul is saying, listen, hey, this isn't something that's cool. This isn't something that's noble. This isn't something that makes sense to the world. It is, in fact, that is exactly why he calls it foolishness to the perishing. Subpoint A there in your outline. It is foolishness to the perishing. Look at verse 18 one more time with me. Read in your Bibles with me. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, the message of the cross, then, is foolishness to those who reject it. Because it is about being saved by a man who was put to death for being a criminal. It just doesn't make sense when you look at it from a purely human standpoint. From a human point of view, we look at that message and we think, That's kind of (laughs) weird. That's kind of interesting. doesn't really make sense. But on the other hand, to those of us who are trusting in that message, even as strange as it might seem, even as contradictory as it seems to our minds, it is the power of God to our hearts and souls. And that is what saves us and changes us into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, the message of the cross is not something that we come to hear about on Sundays or Wednesday nights if you're a Wednesday night attender. But the message of the cross is something that is meant to be sunk deeply into the heart of every Christian on a daily basis. The message of the cross is that which gives you your identity as a person in this world. The message of the cross is that which reminds us of God's grace every day. And I don't know about you guys, but I certainly need God's grace every day in my life. This power of God, the gospel message, it's his power. And this power of God is received by hearing that gospel message and trusting in it. It is the power of God's grace every day in our Christian lives. We need it in order to continue being saved. Notice with me that the verb tenses are present. I pointed that out before. And that's on purpose. Every single purpose in this room today is either heading in one of these two directions. Either you are perishing today because of your rejection of Jesus Christ and the authority that he has in your life as the savior of the world that died for your sins on the cross or you are being saved by that same message which you are trusting and believing now Paul will finish or will continue his argument in verse 19 with a quote from Isaiah the prophet look at what he says he says for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Pause right there for a minute. Anybody ever heard of Third Day? little band, a little, yeah, kind of getting old now, but they're still good. And they have a song called Creed from their second Offerings worship album. And in that song about creed, he says something very interesting about the creed that all Christians can believe in, that Nicene Creed. He says, it's the very truth of God. And he says that it was not invented by any man. And the reason we can know that is, if if the smartest people in the world got together today, they would never come up with this idea that God was going to step out of heaven and become a man in the flesh and walk among us, And then die on a cross to save us from our sins. That would never be the logical plan of salvation. It just doesn't make sense. But it is the wisdom of God. And God comes and he says there, this quote from Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding. That's how he does it. He's like, none of them, all the wise people in the world could never come up with the salvation that Jesus Christ brings. None of them can save the way that Jesus Christ does. Uh, In verse 20, he asks a bunch of rhetorical questions. He's kind of into rhetorical questions here in chapter 1, if you haven't noticed. He says, where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now, the wisdom of the wise, what does that mean? Well, it means the intelligence, the ideas, the philosophies of humankind. Mankind always thinks that their own way is right. We, we think, if left to ourselves, we think, man, I'm doing things right. And, and the way I'm choosing is right. But today, listen, today that's, that's, the, that's what our society has come to believe. That, you know, science is really the religion of the masses. If something cannot be proven by modern science, well, then it must not be true. But listen, God's intelligence, God's wisdom... They're not of this world. They're not of this world. You see, he was outside of this world. He's the one that created this world and brought it into existence. He has always existed, and he will always exist. And so because of that, he is on a different plane. He operates on a whole different level. His understanding, his ways, his thoughts, they are not like ours. They are higher than ours. His wisdom destroys human wisdom and brings understanding, the human understanding, to nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that human wisdom has no place in the world or that it's good for nothing, okay? Obviously, (laughs) there is a great deal of worth in human wisdom. There's a lot that we have, have derived from humanity that is good and can be used for good, And and I'm I'm a believer that your abilities and talents and experiences in life, all of that, God wants to use together for His good purposes, for His kingdom. But when it comes to salvation, guys, when it comes to eternity, our souls, we don't have the answers God does. Paul drives home his argument as he asks those questions. He says, where is the wise? Again, referring to the educated elite. The intelligent person who believes that they have an explanation for life apart from God. Now, it's interesting. Later on, Paul will say that not many wise, referring to these educated elite, not many of them uh, were were called and and are saved. And that's interesting. That doesn't mean that all of them aren't. Of course not. If you look back through history, some of the most brilliant men have been men that loved God and understood God and had a relationship with Him. And, and so that's not. he's not saying that none of them are, but oftentimes the educated elite, they have this intelligence that actually uh, works as a stumbling block. Their own pride convincing them that they've got things figured out better than God does, that they have an explanation for life and life's questions and their meaning of life that is apart from God's. Paul also says, where is the scribe? Referring to the scholars and teachers of the world's wisdom. It has a Jewish connotation there, but it can be applied to anyone. He also asks, where is the disputer of this age? Now, the disputers of the age, that was a reference to the Greek philosophers who wanted to dispute every issue and to solve it by using human reason or intelligence or logic. And God and Paul says, hasn't God made the wisdom of this world look foolish? How has he done that? Specifically because none of them, whether they're wise, whether they're scribes, whether they're disputers of this age, none of them in all of their wisdom and all of their intelligence are able to do what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me this morning. And that is to save us from our sins, to cleanse us from our guilt, to give us a new life in Jesus Christ, to renew our souls and revive us. Only Jesus Christ has accomplished salvation by dying on the cross for our sins. Let's continue following Paul's argument in verse 21. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. Let's stop there for a moment. So basically, Paul's saying, listen, it was God's plan all along that humankind would not know Him through human wisdom, but rather we would come to know God through the message of the cross. In the Old Testament, God set up the sacrificial system, the Levitical priesthood. He set up the Sabbath system and the the system of sevens and all of that. And through his people, Israel, living as a living testimony in the world, he revealed himself to mankind. But in the New Testament, God is revealed through Jesus Christ. God the Father and his heart and all that he is, it's revealed in the life of Jesus Christ. And so it is God's plan all along that humankind would come to know him through humbling themselves and Accepting, receiving the truth about Jesus Christ. You know, there's an assumption today that the smartest and the wisest and most accomplished human beings are the ones who will know the most about God. And here in America, in our celebrity culture, we might throw in, you know, and all the famous actors too. <laughs> we, we, for some reason, value, they have an outsized uh, opinion or, uh, you know, we overvalue their opinions is what I'm trying to say. But really, the truth is that God cannot be known through human wisdom. Through all of these smart people and celebrities and accomplished human beings, that's not how we come to know God. That's why you can have the smartest and most intelligent man or woman on the planet, yet when it comes to knowledge of God, a four-year-old child can know more about God than that man or woman. Interestingly, It is often the most educated and intelligent people, I've said this before, who often have the least to do with God. Their trust is in themselves and in their knowledge, which sadly cannot save their soul. One day there was a student in one of Albert Einstein's classes. And they were having a discussion uh, amongst themselves, several of the students, and, and one of the students came to the conclusion, there's no God, and the students accepted that coll- conclusion. They decided, hey, yeah, we're in agreement. There is no God. There can't be a God. And Einstein asked them how much of all the knowledge in the world, the, the human knowledge that they actually possessed in this one classroom. And the students discussed that at length and they came to the conclusion that they had a hold, a good hold of at least 5% of all the knowledge of humanity. All, all human knowledge was possessed in that classroom. Well, Einstein thought that that was a very generous estimate, first of all. <laughs> but he replied in this way. Well, is it possible that in the 95% of the knowledge you don't have, that God exists? And he posed that question to them. A very good question, if you think about. You know, because probably in in this room, we have at least 20% of all the knowledge of the world, right? I mean, (laughs) we're going to err on the side of grace. But even then, that 80%, think about it, guys. There's so much that's out there. Even science today discovers new things all the time. It's kind of interesting to watch science, actually, watching them change some of their uh, observations and things like that, and the theories. And it's very interesting to see all of the changes that happen. But you know what? God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever The moral principles that he teaches us in the word of God, they come from his very nature, who he is. They will never change. They cannot change. And for us to come to Jesus and to humble ourselves and to receive him is to receive God and his truth into our lives. And it's a humbling thing. And that's why God set it up this way. Because no man is going to glory in his presence. No man is going to come to heaven and say, I got here because I'm so smart I got here because I'm so strong. I got here because I'm so great. No, we're going to all say the same thing. We're going to take our crowns and throw them before the feet of God and say, Praise you, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Notice with me in verse 22, Paul says that the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. What is the sign that the Jews are looking for? Well, they were waiting for a Messiah to show up in military power. And he was going to set up his earthly kingdom with power and conquering armies. And they stumbled over the message of the cross because it said that their Messiah was in reality a suffering servant who died like a common criminal at the mercy of his enemies. They could not receive that message. They rejected it. The Greeks seek wisdom, Paul says. And he's speaking there that the Greeks looked at the message of the cross and it just didn't make sense to them. They looked at it as an explanation and and they looked to wisdom to explain life and to explain the, 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 the meaning of life and the purpose of life through philosophy. But their pursuit of wisdom didn't include God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Instead, they rejected that and so they stumbled at the message of the cross. Listen, seeking after wisdom is not wrong. That was not the problem with the Greeks. It was their rejection of God's wisdom. That was the problem. True and deep knowledge of God can only come through accepting and trusting in the truths of the cross. It actually pleased God to do things this way, Paul says. It is through preaching the foolishness of this message that people are saved. And on this note, I have some application for you that are Christians here at Calvary Chapel of Paris. And that is the majority of us. We're here because we know the Lord, we've accepted the message of the cross in our lives, but the application for you today is, listen, it's through preaching the foolishness, the, foolish, <laughs> the foolishness of the message. I'm making a fool of myself here. But it's the foolishness of the message that is actually the power of God. So listen, it doesn't rely on you. You don't have to have some amazing speech prepared, you know, to lay down in front of your coworkers when it's time to share the gospel. No, just choke it out however you want, you know. Just spill it. And, and you know what? It's the power of God. It has nothing to do with you. The foolishness of the message is the power of God. So that's why God uses people like us. He's able to use us because if we will just, you know, spill the beans, spread the message, God uses that message to really do what he does in people's lives. All that we're called to do is be faithful, to be faithful in sharing that simple message and leave the results up to God. You know what? Your coworkers might be angry at you for sharing that message at first, but that's okay. Just leave the results up to the Lord. People might shun you for a little while after you share that message, but that's okay. Leave the results up to God. You know what I found is that oftentimes when people went through hurtful things in their lives or they were hurting, that's when they come back to you and they're like, hey, man, remember when you talked to me about Jesus? I think I could use him right now. And they begin to open up that door. Listen, by you sharing the gospel, God does the work. So let's be faithful to share the message of the good news with those that we can. And we should do this because subpoint B says, It is the power of God to those being saved. And we've already talked about that several times, but read verse 23 and 24 with me. It says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice, first of all, that God calls all human beings, regardless of their ethnic background, regardless of the color of their skin, he calls all to repent from sin, to turn to him and believe the message about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I love that. I love the fact that God does not see color. He sees character. He sees the character of our hearts, and he calls all, Greeks, Jews, doesn't matter. Hey, here's the gospel. It levels the playing field, and and God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't respect one higher than the other. God is perfectly just, and I love that about our God. And really, that is the common ground and brings the unity that we're looking for the message of the cross. Now the call to the world comes through preaching, Christ crucified, Paul says in verse 23. Now that phrase, Christ crucified, I want you to look at that. If you write in your Bibles, underline that, because it's very significant here. Christ means Messiah, and it depicts strength. It depicts power of God. But crucified was the common criminal's torture and death experience in the Roman Empire. And it depicts weakness and humility. So Christ crucified is this powerful statement about God's power, God's strength, God's wisdom displayed in weakness and humility. He puts them together. And to put them together, it's really an oxymoron. They just don't seem to go well together. And yet this is what Paul preached. And this is, what, this is the truth that the church is built upon. It is what we are called to preach as well. This oxymoron is God's wisdom. That's how we know nobody made this up. It just doesn't make sense. If you sit and take the time to think about it, it's a weird contradiction, isn't it? And if you don't find that to be true, you probably haven't thought about it long enough and hard enough. Yet with all of its contradictions and demands, we are called to accept its truths and to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. This requires us to humble ourselves and to take our human knowledge, our human instinct, our human logic, and factor into all of it that God loves us and sent his only begotten Son to die for our sins so that we can be forgiven and restored. Every pulpit in every church should preach Christ crucified. There was once a strong church that inscribed those words into a stone archway where the people would enter into the churchyard. We preach Christ crucified, it said, above the arch. But over time, two things happened. First, that church lost its passion for Jesus Christ and the good news about Him. And second, an ivy vine began to grow up the side of the archway there. And the growth of the ivy on the archway became a symbol of what was happening spiritually within that church as it covered up the message on that archway. Where it had originally stated boldly, we preach Christ crucified, the ivy grew over and covered crucified until it said, we preach Christ. The church started preaching that Jesus was a great example. (laughs) A great example of a moral life. Someone to be upheld and, and followed and instead of talking about sin, instead of talking about the blood that Jesus spilt for the sins of the whole world, and the pain and the cost, the church talked about Jesus, our moral example. Next, the ivy continued to grow until it now covered the words, Christ, cru- uh, cr- Christ crucified, and all you could say, see was, we preach. You see, the church had even lost the message of Jesus. And as the church preached about social justice and politics and modern-day psychology took center stage, Jesus became just a name that was mentioned and thrown around to prove a point of view or to advance someone's perspective. Then finally, the ivory covered everything except for that word, we. The church had finally become just a social gathering place that was all about the people and no longer about God. Calvary Chapel must not become that kind of a church. We must fight the good fight. We must hold fast to the truth of sound doctrine that comes to us from the Word of God. No matter what the cost, The Jews stumbled over the cross because it scandalized them. It was a scandal to them. And the Greeks stumbled over the cross because it was intellectually foolish. But God didn't care to change his plan based on the human poles. He didn't take the human poles and say, okay, I guess we should go with something that's a little more palatable. He stuck to what the truth is. And that is that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. And that he sent his son Jesus because he loves the world to die for our sins and to take our place that we might be forgiven those that believe and receive that truth. Let's take a minute today and look at today's wisdom, what our society trusts in, the the wisdom of this world. Listen, today's wisdom, a lot of it is based on what science tells us and People are looking to science for the philosophical answers about life's meaning and purpose. But let me be clear here this morning. We as Christians are not opposed to science, are we? No. We are not opposed to science as methodology. That is, in fact, we invite we invite this kind of scientific truth into our lives. The Bible is full of science and scientific knowledge. Because real science, science as a methodology produces problems with the theory of evolution because there's a lack of evidence there. But listen, we as Christians do oppose science as a philosophy, science as a point of view, science as a worldview that shapes one's complete outlook on life and attempts to answer questions about the meaning and purpose of life. You see, if you were to rely on solely science as a methodology, It would tell you there is no human soul. Why? Because it can't find one. (laughs) It just can't find it. Hey, they've tried. They've dissected the human brain, and they came to the conclusion there was no soul there. But that's like looking for the invisible man in a house, right? You go in the house, you're like, I'm looking for the invisible man. You're never going to find him, right? That's what the soul is like. We can't answer questions about the soul using science as methodology. And so what has happened is that the world has adopted science as a philosophy. And that is where you see blind faith happening today in society. When science, those that follow its philosophy, trumps science as a methodology every single time. Whenever the facts don't match the philosophy, they're ignored in favor of the philosophical position. That's what blind faith is defined as, guys. That's what we don't have as Christians. We don't have blind faith. Our faith is very logical. Our faith is based on a worldview that is completely other than the scientific philosophy worldview. But listen, human wisdom and philosophy has produced great evil. Take, for example, the evil of abortion in our country. Our society now favors the lives of animals above the value of a human life, a baby in the womb of its mother. Take, for example, the evil of the sexual revolution that is happening in our society today. You see, the media doesn't want to talk about the thousands of people who are suffering and hurting as a result of the pressure of the gay agenda, the transgender rights agenda. There are literally thousands that are broken and hurting, and it is only the gospel that can truly heal their hearts and give them the answers that they're looking for. You see, Jesus loves all. He died for humanity, and He has the answers of brokenness that we're looking for. The message of the cross may seem weak, but listen, it is really the power of God to those who believe and receive it. What evolution and science wants us to believe is that we are merely nothing more than a natural process. But God comes and says, no, you're more than that. He restores the human dignity and he says, no, you're created in my image. You have a soul that's going to last for eternity. And that soul is either perishing or being saved. When you die, you're going to have to ask yourself a few questions. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in today? Notice that Paul finishes verse twenty-five. There he says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We could put quotations around foolishness and weakness. Paul's just using those terms facetiously. He's saying that, <clears throat> hey, uh, he's he's really wanting us to challenge ourselves this morning and to and to ask ourselves these questions. What am I trusting in today? Maybe you've drifted away from the power of that simple gospel message in your life. Are you now trusting in the wisdom of what intelligent humans tell us? Do you find yourself trusting in the strength of humanity, perhaps your own strength today, thinking, I'll find a way, I'll make this happen on my own. Please understand that those things will not and cannot save you. They were not designed to save you. When you die, you're going to stand before the Lord, as I said, the God of the universe, the God of Israel, the God of this Bible. And he will. Uh, oh, and only his wisdom at that point in time, only his power will matter. Only trusting in the truth of Jesus Christ will save you from your sin and the consequences of your choices. I read an interesting article from USA Today, and I'm closing with this. But in this article from USA Today, about a week and a half ago, it came out, and it was about the Justice League's new movie. Any comic book movie fans out there? Anybody brave enough to raise their hand? All right, okay. I, I like some of them, just so you know, myself. I think they're fun. But this uh, particular article was interviewing uh, several of the actors and, and included a quote from Ben Affleck, who plays Batman. And he said this, he said we certainly are in need of heroes in 2017, Affleck says. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. From natural, man-made disasters or from natural to man-made disasters and it's really scary. Part of the appeal of this genre is wish fulfillment. Wouldn't it be nice if there was somebody who can save us from all this? Save us from ourselves? Save us from the consequences of our actions and save us from people who are evil. I thought to myself after I read that wow. He's searching. He's, he's reflecting and echoing, I think, something that is built into the human heart by God Himself. This need, this desire for a hero to come and to save us from the evil and the consequences that our evil actions produce in our own lives. Jesus Christ is God's hero. He's the one who saves all of humanity from themselves and from their sins and the consequences of their actions. Listen, he can't take those consequences away, but he can be with you as you go through them. And he can take away the guilt and he can forgive the sin. And he can save your soul. Will you trust in him today? Let's pray.